Let's pray real quick. God, I thank you for every person here that came in the rain. And so, Lord, would you speak mightily through me? Holy Spirit, would you give me your words, not my own? Would you decrease me and increase yourself? And Lord, would your word go out today in might and power? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's get right into it, guys. And so last week, I talked about the anointing of Saul. I talked about how anointing is very important. And I talked about how we're all called to be anointed, that you are called to be anointed, not just a Christian who knows Jesus, but you're called to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to get into the next part. And I believe this experience is something that we all experience, or at least many of us experience. I want to talk to you about what do you do after that powerful encounter, that powerful moment when the Holy Spirit fell and you felt his presence, you know? I want to talk about how do we steward that experience. Because a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm always going like this <laughs> in my walk with Jesus. Like, I'm always going, like, up and down. I have these, like, really powerful, like, mountaintop experiences. And, like, you go to a revival service, right? Or you go to, like, a youth camp. You go to a retreat. Or, like, you go on a missions trip. And you see, like, miracles and healing and all this stuff. And you're, like, super on fire. And then all of a sudden, like, whoo, like, like what happens, right? It's this interesting phenomenon, you know? Like how do we steward those mountaintop experiences? And then I feel like two lies end up happening coming into our mind. The two lies end up happening are like, one, did it really happen? <laughs> like you start to question, like, oh, maybe that revival service, I was just super emotional. Or like, oh, maybe I just really like that song. You start to make these excuses that you don't think that it really happened. You don't think you really heard the Holy Spirit speak. You're not really sure anymore, Right? Or the second thing that you do is, the second lie that comes into our minds is we think, oh, he left me. Like he was with me, and now he left me. Because it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel as nice. It doesn't feel as close. It doesn't feel as, like, powerful and passionate as before. And we think, oh, did he leave me? And I want you to know something. Those are both lies. Those are both not true. Because the scriptures don't bear witness that that's how God operates. I want you to know something. The truth that I want you to know today is that the Holy Spirit does everything possible to maintain his relationship with you. He does everything possible. He will never give up on his relationship with you. He will never leave you unless you tell him to leave. You guys get that? And how do I know this? How do I know this? I know this because the two kings that we're talking about had that exact same experience. So Saul, he's anointed by God. Then he makes some very bad decisions. He makes some very bad choices. And then God rejects him as king. And then it actually says at one point, because he continued to walk away from God, that the spirit of God left him. And then that tormenting spirit came upon him. You know, and that's when he called David to play the harp and then he would be relieved. You guys remember that story? Yeah. But then David, very interesting. I could argue that King David, even though he's got a really nice reputation, I could actually argue very strongly that he messed up more than Saul. He did a lot of things, in my opinion, that were a lot worse morally than Saul. But then how come the Holy Spirit never left him? But the Holy Spirit left Saul. Why is that? And it was clearly not, oh, because David wasn't as bad. I would just keep it straight to the point that David, it's a tough word to say because I don't even like that word. David raped a woman. Don't get it twisted. That story is a story of rape. And then he killed her husband. That's a story of murder. And it was, it was intended. It was planned. It's first degree murder. I could easily say Saul never did either of those things. He was bitter. He was crazy. But he never intentionally murdered somebody. He tried to murder David, so I shouldn't say that. But he never raped a woman. And so I could argue very clearly that they're at least very similar. 
So, eh, I'll get past that point. I talked about too much. So what happened? So I want to look at David's relationship with God because there's an interaction between God and David that occurs that maintains their relationship even when he fell. And that David, he responds to God. So that's the word I want to give you today. How do you steward that mountaintop experience? It doesn't mean you have to stay up there. Or that every day of your life is like, oh my gosh, I'm always weeping and slain in the spirit. And I'm always like crying and prophesying. Like, it doesn't even make any sense, right? That's not, that's not how life works. But how you maintain and steward that anointing is that you remain sensitive to him and you respond when he's trying to get your attention. That's what David did. So I'm, we're going to talk about the three ways that God got David's attention and the three ways that David responded. And that's what I want to leave you with today. All right? So let's get into it. So I'm taking you to the very end of David's story. The very, very end. And he makes another bad decision. He goes and he takes a census of the entire army. And you're like, oh, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because back then, it's not that easy to take a census. It takes years to take a census. They literally have to walk around and count everybody. There's no like, it's not like when the U.S. Census Bureau sends you that annoying mail every four years. It's not like that. It's very difficult to take a census. And even the commander of his army Joab was like, do you really want to do this? He's basically saying, do you really want to make me do this? And David's like, yes. So he spends over a year going around and counting all the armies in every single tribe. That's 12 tribes. And he comes back and it's 1.3 million men fighting men. Now, why is that wrong? Well, because it's pride. He didn't need to do that. He had peace on every side. He was already prosperous. God's like, why are you doing that? Why are you counting? It's like counting your money, just like counting your money. He's like, why would you do that? So God was very upset with him. So we're going to pick up the story of what God did when he was very upset with David. Okay. So it says here in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 10, if you have your Bible. And it says, but David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant. For I have done very foolishly. And then... Um, I'll, I'll skip this part really quick. I'll explain it to you. Then God sends a prophet, Gad, and he gives him three punishments. He gives him a choice. He says, you can either have three years of famine. You can have three months of your enemies having victory over you and chasing you. Or you can have three days of a plague. And David chooses three days of a plague. Okay? And we're going to pick up the story at verse 17. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people with the plague and said, behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Okay, and then he has another interaction with God and they talk a little bit more. And then God tells him very clearly what to do. And so we're going to pick up at verse 24 and 25 at the end of the chapter. So David goes to the threshing floor of Aruna. And he's supposed to buy the threshing floor. And he was commanded to build an altar there. And he was commanded to give sacrifices on that altar. So David goes, and in verse 24 it says, But the king said to Aruna, No, I will not buy it from you. I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God. That cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings so the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. So we're going to get right into it. 
What was the first thing that God did in this story? It says that David's heart struck him. His heart struck him. Now, the Hebrew in this word is nacha, and that just means to attack. It's to strike. It's literally to be like, it's like that. So that's what happened. So basically, David's heart felt guilty, and so it struck him. It struck his mind. So his heart struck his mind, and he realized what he did was wrong. Now, I have a very interesting question to ask you. How, okay, how is it possible that the same person who did it like a day ago would suddenly, his heart would suddenly realize that what he did was wrong? That's not possible. So I want to tell you that actually that was God, that that was actually the Holy Spirit who revealed that to his heart, and then his heart struck his mind. Because in the text, there's nothing in here that says that David was informed that it was wrong. God didn't come and tell him that it was wrong. Nothing in the text tells you that an outside source gave him information that he previously did not have. So, we can't, so it's kind of silly to assume that suddenly if I did something wrong and I didn't know it, that suddenly by myself I would realize that it's not wrong anymore. Does that make sense, guys? Like that's crazy. Like if I, if I like didn't think it was wrong when I did it, why would all of a sudden I think it's wrong now? When nothing changed, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did that. How do I know that? Because Jesus explains that later on in the New Testament. Jesus says in John chapter 16, he says, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts us of our sin. And he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit also tells you truth. He tells you the truth. That's how David knew. It was the Holy Spirit. And you know why that's a gift, guys? It's a gift to know when we're out in the wrong area. It's a gift to know when we're in error. Because don't you realize that sin destroys you and it destroys everyone around you? And God is a loving God. It would be foolish for him to just watch you hurt yourself and hurt those around you and say nothing. So he's not convicting you to make you feel bad. He's convicting you because he's letting you know, don't go down that way. Don't you see you're hurting yourself? Don't you see you're hurting those around you? Don't you see that? It's like pain receptors. A lot of times we think pain receptors, like, why do I need that? Like, we think like, oh, that's so annoying that I have to feel pain. Do you realize that having pain re- not having pain receptors doesn't remove the fact that there is pain? So if the Holy Spirit didn't tell you that you, weren't, that you were doing wrong, it doesn't remove the fact that you're doing wrong. So it's actually a blessing. There's a story from Tony Dungy that his, one of his sons, Tony Dungy is a famous uh, NFL coach, if you don't know. One of his sons has no pain receptors. He was born with a rare disease. He literally has no pain receptors. But he actually gets hurt more often because he does not have pain receptors. Because he has no idea that he is in danger. He will literally slam a car door on his hand and have no idea that his hand is crushed. He has no pain receptors. He has no idea that when he kicks his foot on something, that his toe is broken. He'll just keep walking on it until he's like, oh, how come I can't walk anymore? We think that it's a blessing. It's not. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts you of your sin because he loves you. Do you guys feel the weight of that? If he didn't, we would just keep going and killing ourselves and hurting ourselves. So that's the first thing that he does. The Holy Spirit will always grab you and tell you, hey, 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 listen, listen. This is what's happening. He's telling us the truth. And how do we respond? What did David do? 
he confessed right away. Now you might be like, oh, that's obvious. No, it's not. Have you ever been told that you were wrong and it's hard for you to admit that you were wrong? Come on. <laughs> happens to me all the time. I'm only speaking from experience. So I'll just say it's only me, okay? It's really hard for me, even when I'm told that I'm wrong and I know that I'm wrong, it's hard to admit it. But that's powerful when you do. And so the response that David gave was he confessed his sin. Do you hear what he said? He said, Lord, forgive me for I've done very foolishly. And the second thing was he asked for forgiveness. He said, remove the iniquity of your servant. What does that mean? I think we get forgiveness twisted. I want to talk about that really quick. We think when we ask for forgiveness, we're asking someone to not punish us. Like, oh, please forgive me, meaning please don't punish me. <laughs> can I tell you something? Forgiveness and mercy are two different things. God can forgive you, but God can still discipline you for your good. Those are two separate things. Forgiveness is not mercy, okay? Forgiveness is saying, Lord, please don't hold this against me any longer because I want relationship with you. Please don't hold this against me and hold this between us because I want to restore our relationship. Do you guys feel the difference in that? That's forgiveness. So what David is asking for is saying, God, remove this sin so it doesn't separate me and you. That's what he's asking for. That's what we need to ask for. All right? Second thing. Second thing that he does. Do you realize that when the angel was striking the people, the plague, do you realize what happened in that second verse that I read you? It said that David saw the angel who was striking the people, and he said, behold, I have sinned and done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? What have they done? You know the second thing that God does to help get your attention? Is that he opens your eyes to see how what you do actually affects other people. He lets you see that your mistakes and, your, and, our, and, and things that we do don't just hurt us. They hurt everyone around us. And a lot of times the biggest lie is that when we think that we do something wrong, or that we think we made a bad decision, that, oh, it only affects me. No, it doesn't. Because <laughs> people care about you guys. You don't live in a vacuum. You don't live in a bubble. You don't live somewhere where no one else lives. People care about you. But also, when you make a bad decision, your life is intertwined with other people, right? You live life with other people. It matters. It affects them. And so God, the second thing that he does is he opens your eyes to see and recognize how you're hurting other people. And that's important. You know why? Because you're like, well, what's that to do with me and God? Can I tell you something? What that word really is, is called compassion. What God is giving you as a gift is compassion, to love somebody else. And why that's so important is because compassion is his heart for other people. When you have compassion, God's giving you a piece of his heart. He's telling you, this is how I feel about them. This is how I love them. This is how I view them through my eyes. When we have true compassion, we're able to love other people the way that God actually sees them. And can I tell you, it's not possible for any of us to have compassion without God. Compassion is a gift because as a human, as a sinful human, we're selfish. We're never, we're never naturally thinking about somebody else. Anytime you think about somebody else or love somebody else, that's a gift from God. And do you know what that does? It softens your heart. It keeps you connected to him when you have compassion. Do you see that? It's like Jesus comes around you and he says, walk with me. And you're walking. And he says, let me tell you about how I feel about my sons and daughters. And he's giving you his heart. That's how he restores you. 
That's how he, case, he maintains connection with you. Do you guys feel that? That's, that's why it's so important to have compassion. It keeps us connected to the heart of God. And so through that experience, that was the second way that God got David's attention. And so how did David respond? Oh, his prayer is so crazy. I only knew one person, one person who was as loving as this person who prayed a prayer just like this. Do you know what David said? He said, Lord, let your hand be against me and my people instead, and me and my house instead. He was saying, punish me instead, God. They didn't do anything wrong. Oh, man, I only knew one guy. If he's listening, he knows who he is. That he ever prayed such a crazy prayer like this, that when one of our friends was in pain, he said, Lord, I want his pain. He literally prayed that for our friend. He said, Lord, give me his pain instead. That's compassion. So what's the response? The response is when you're able to actually believe in your heart that the people around you are more, you put them before you. That to you, you want them to be more important than you. That you put them higher than you. And you pray for other people instead of yourself. So if you ever feel distant from God and feel disconnected from him, start praying for other people. Stop praying for yourself. Start having compassion and turn your eyes to other people. And I guarantee you, you'll gain the Father's heart and you'll be right back there. So that's the second thing that God did to restore their relationship. Last one, last one. The whole altar, right? building the altar on the threshing floor and putting the burnt sacrifice and the peace offering on the altar. And then what happened? Then God stopped the plague and he stopped it early because David did these things. Now, I know it's hard to um, imagine what sacrifices (laughs) have to do with us, but it's actually very beautiful. I want to explain to you guys the picture of sacrifices. The idea was to come and to bring a gift to God and to give him the best and to burn it was to give it to him. Because, I mean, what, I mean if you don't, like, what, what's God going to do with it, right? He's not going to, like, literally bring his hand out of, like, reality and, like, grab it and bring it back into the spiritual reality, right? So it's just the way of giving it to him. So don't, don't worry about the fire. The fire itself is, is, is not super important. It's just the way in which they gave it to God. And they imagined that as the smoke was burning and it was going up to heaven, that that's how God was receiving it. That's the imagery, Okay. And so why is there two offerings? Did you know there's actually like seven or eight offerings? There's like a grain offering. There's a fellowship offering. There's a sin offering. There's, uh, there's a peace offering. There's a food offering. There's, there's a lot of offerings. But the two that always come up the most are burnt offering and peace offering. And they're actually very important. So I got to explain to you guys. The burnt offering is the idea of taking the whole animal, the whole animal, and it's a clean animal. It has to be an animal without blemish. So again, that idea of giving the best to God. And they put the entire animal, they hold nothing back except for the skin because the, the hide was not clean in their, in, in, in their definition of clean. So they would remove the skin and they would just put the entire animal and burn the entire animal. And then they would give the whole thing to God. And the burnt offering was always the first offering that they gave. And it was said over and over again in Leviticus that the burnt offering gave a, a, a pleasing and soothing aroma to the Lord. Why? What does that mean for us? The idea of burnt offering is that when you come to worship God, you give him everything. And we did that this morning, didn't we? That's the beauty of worship. That when you worship God, you withhold nothing from him. You give everything to him. 
You don't hold back your favorite piece of the meat. You don't hold back the dark meat because you like the dark meat. You don't hold back this part because that's your favorite. You don't hold back. You give the entire thing to God. It's his. When we worship, what's pleasing to God is when you give all of yourself. You don't withhold anything. That's the idea of the burnt offering. It's very powerful. And then the peace offering. Why was this different? The peace offering is when they only took the fat. They would take all the fat portions and they would actually remove the fat from all the other parts of the animal and the organs and they would only burn the fat. Why would they do that? They would burn the fat because that's the best part. They want to give God the best part. And so what would they do with the rest of the animal? They would take the rest of the animal and they'd have a meal together. They would have lunch or dinner together. They would have communion. They would have dinner, a meal together. So communion before it used to be a full meal. Even in the New Testament, they talked about the full meal, the communion meal. So the whole idea of the cup and the bread, that's a very like uh, modern day like Catholic church. Don't worry about it. That's like church history. I don't want to bore you with that. Okay, so that's not how they did it. So the idea was they would give the fat to God and they would keep the rest and they would eat together. So what does this mean for us? That when we worship God, he wants us to give the best parts. And it does have to do with fasting. Ironically, we just talked about it. <laughs> no, I did not plan this, trust me. But the idea of fasting is that same idea. I'm going to take the fat portion. I'm going to take the best, tastiest part, and it's for you, God. I'm going to withhold. I don't need to eat that today. I don't need to have that because I'd rather have you. I don't need to have that. I'd rather have you. I'd rather be with you. That's the idea of fasting. That, God, you are greater than this. You're greater than this best portion, this this, this, like, this part that is good, but you're better. That's the idea of fasting. And so when David gave these two offerings, guys, it's this beautiful picture where he's saying, God, I'm going to give you all of me, and I'm going to give you the best. And God honored that. And so I want to tell you guys, if you ever feel like you're disconnected from God, and you feel like he's not near, you got to worship, but not just any worship. you got to worship him with all of who you are. And sometimes that's ugly. I don't even have ever ugly worship. Is that, maybe that's just me. Maybe only I ugly worship. Where you're, like, you're just crying. You're just crying. It doesn't sound good. I'm off key. I'm off note. And then my dog, Robin, he's like super nervous. And he's sitting next to me. And he's like howling because I'm, I'm howling. And he just thinks he's just going to copy me. <laughs> it really happens. Right, Anna? Yeah, it really happens. He gets really scared. It sounds horrible. It's not even good. But God never said, give me the most beautiful animal. He said, give me the one without blemish and give me all of it. It's not about that, guys. Sometimes you need to worship ugly, pour out your heart, snot everywhere, tears everywhere, completely off key, sounds horrible. Your neighbors will forgive you. It's okay. But that's what God's looking for. But it's not always that way. Sometimes it's giving your best and saying, God, I need to withstand and withhold from this so that I can really focus on you so that I can enjoy you as much as I enjoy this, but more. You guys feel the weight of that? And I guarantee you, if you worship him like that and you fast and withhold like that, you'll gain his heart back again. Yeah? So I want us to pray in this moment. I want to pray in this moment. And maybe if someone, if Chaz can come back up. Yeah. I want to pray in this moment because I really feel like, honestly, I feel like there's someone in this room, if not more than one person in this room, who actually feels exactly like that story that I explained. You know, and COVID's not helping either. I get that. 
And it feels like the anointing of God is not on your life anymore. And you're like, oh man, in 2020, I was so passionate for God. In 2020 or 2019, oh man, I was such a different person. How could I ever get back to being that person? You know, you had a powerful service experience. You came up to the altar before. Maybe you even came up to the altar last week and then this week is different. <laughs> you, had, you had a powerful encounter. And you're like, oh, maybe that was only when I was in college. Maybe it was that when I was, when I was younger. Actually, I forget how young you guys are, so that could still be today. Oh, that was in high school. Is that better? That, that, was, my, that was my high school camp retreat. That's not who I am. Or oh, I'm not sure that one time that I came up at that revival service and that pastor prayed over me and I got that prophetic word. I'm not sure if that's really real for me anymore because I'm so different now. I feel so, that feels so long ago. That feels like a one-off. You know, that, that feels like that's not who I am anymore. Can I tell you something today? That is still who you are. It might be covered up with a bunch of dust. It might be covered up with a bunch of junk. But I tell you with all my heart, it's still there. All my heart, that it's still there. That the Holy Spirit has not left you. But I guarantee you with all my heart, even for the last two, three, four, five, six years, however long it's been, he's been trying to get your attention every day. But you just haven't noticed. But today is that day. Because he brought you here today. Because he wanted to get your attention. And so I want you to close your eyes. Because in this moment, I want you to feel and listen to the Holy Spirit right now. Of which of the three is he bringing to your attention right now? Is he convicting you of some sin that's separating you? Something that you know you need to let go of, but you haven't yet? Or maybe he's trying to soften your heart to love those around you, but you become so callous and so selfish. That you only think about yourself, and then you wonder why you're far from God is because you don't love those around you the way that he does. So is he trying to get your attention to love a coworker that you've been ignoring, to love your parent that you've been ignoring, to love someone you see every day and you've just been ignoring it and not doing anything about it. But he's trying to stir up your heart with love and compassion again. Or maybe it's the last thing. You haven't really worshipped him in a long time. You just come and listen to the music and you think it sounds good and you think it sounds nice. But you've been holding back for every reason. Maybe it's because you're scared. I'm not sure. But you're holding back when you worship. You're holding back something. You're holding back because you're afraid of what he'll say. You're holding back because you're afraid of what he might quote-unquote take away. And so you haven't been worshiping him with all your heart. But God's calling you back to that place. Or maybe he's been calling you to fast, but you really, really don't want to. Because you're just like, God, I don't have the time or the energy for that. I'm not, I'm just not that person anymore. COVID's so difficult already. I just don't want to fast. That's just adding more, more difficulty to my life. But you know in your heart, God's been calling you to that. Come on, just begin to just listen to the Holy Spirit. Because I believe he's here. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to, to grab us and draw us near to him. But we just haven't been listening. Come on. Come on. Just begin to pray right now. Just begin to listen. Holy Spirit, this is my prayer for every person in this room right now. That you would do your work. That you would do only what you can do right now. And that's to go around and to touch hearts. And to convict hearts, God. And to convict us, Lord. Not to shame us. Not to make us feel bad. But to convict our hearts so that we can confess and return to you, God. So begin to convict hearts. 
or begin to stir up compassion, God, for other people. Or God, begin to stir up a heart for worship again, God, or a heart for fasting again, God. Would you begin to do that right We pray right now that you would touch every heart right now and speak to every person in this room right now. Come on. We're going to worship just a little bit right now, church. And all I want you to